to sing the, the, the great teachings of the Bible and the hymns that, that we have lifted up to you in praise and sing to one another as encouragement and, and to pray to you, Father, and to be reminded that you incline your ear toward us at all times and that you listen to us as your children. And as we come back to your word tonight and, and, and eagerly seek for it to, to, to speak to our mind and to our soul and to our heart, we pray, Father, that you'll give us eyes that see and ears that hear. We pray, Father, that, that, that all of the truths that, that we glean tonight will be truths that, that change us and, and deepen us as disciples of Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 250 times in the New Testament, God is called Father. I think one of the reasons for that is the key to knowing who we are, the key to knowing us, is in knowing Him. You know that God is ever hardly called Father in the Old Testament. And when you find Him being referred to as Father in the Old Testament, it's usually as the Creator or the, as the Originator. But the New Testament picture of, of God as Father is that of a caring Father figure. Now what is it that so radically changed the concept of Father in the New Testament? Well, the answer, really, in, in one word, is Jesus. The, the first recorded words that we have of Jesus in the New Testament are what? I must be about my what? Father's business. The last recorded words of Jesus in the New Testament are... But this side of the resurrection, into your hands I commit my spirit, Father. Christ called God Abba when He prayed to Him, which meant that He was not referring to God as a distant figure. Abba was a term of endearment. Fa Abba was the, was the word that children used when they were trying to get their father's attention. They would say Abba. They would say, they would say Abba. Uh, pay attention to me or listen to what I, I have to say or, or, or Abba, give me something to eat. It was a term of endearment. It was a term of intimacy. It was a term that was used to, to define the relationship that when God talked to, to, to God as Father, it defined that level of intimacy that was a part of His prayer life. Now, the problem is that that metaphor of God as Father is, is difficult. Some fathers are good. Some fathers are terrible. But what... What does it mean for God to be Father? I think can be understood in the way that you know, in the in the ways that we think of a good Father here on this earth, and we apply it to God. When we think of a good Father on the earth, we think of provision. Good fathers provide for their children. They may not provide everything that the kiddo wants, but but they provide the very things that the kid needs to be able to flourish in this life. Another thing that a good father provides is a safe haven. That is, he he's able to provide security. For that child, that child is able to go home at night and to lie down and to go to sleep and to wake up the next morning because there is security and there is that safe haven that the Father provides. One of the big things that a caring, good Father provides on earth that we see in God the Father is love. There is a, a love that is shown to that child. Sometimes that love is a little bit painful for the child as sometimes that discipline needs to be, to be given out in, in ways that gets that child's attention, but it's done in a loving way. When the Bible speaks about uh, uh, handing out love as a discipline and discipline as a love, 
it never uses that word discipline in the sense of, of pain or, or punishment in the sense of the child you know, uh, uh, being punished because that's what the parent needs and that's what the parent wants. No, that love is meted out in a way of helping again that child to flourish, that child to feel close, that, feel, that child to feel cared for. There's instruction about how to live life successfully. When Solomon wrote, wrote Proverbs, what is he doing? He has, as a father, is writing to a son. This is how you live. This is what it means to be wise. This is what it means to live successfully a life in the eyes of God. And then one of the last things is an inheritance. And so when Christ describes God as a father, he is helping us to understand who we are. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer the question a couple of ways tonight about fathers and sons. If God is Father, then who am I? If we ask that question and we go to the Bible, what we discover is that we are accepted on the basis of faith. We're accepted on the basis of faith. Now, popular, uh, contrary to popular belief, the Bible does not teach that all people are children of God. They were all sons of God. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, I'm, I'm looking at it with the New American Standard Version. He says, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of what? Children of wrath. If you go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10, a passage we looked at in depth uh, last, uh, last spring, John writes, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So by nature, children of wrath, there are children of God and there are children of the devil. And then John chapter 8, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, as he is being uh, uh, taunted and, and, and debated with. By, by the religious leaders about his own identity, Jesus turns it on them in John chapter 8 and says, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. All are God's creation, but not all human beings are his children. In John 1, in the passage that Kevin just read for us, John is kind of laying out what's going to be happening throughout the rest of that gospel in this prologue, the first 18 verses of the first chapter. And one of the things that he says is that Jesus created everything. There's not anything that was made that was not made by Him. Jesus, in the incarnation, comes into His own, and His own do not receive Him. That is, they don't recognize Him. They don't embrace Him. They don't believe in Him. They don't come to faith in Christ as the Son of God. But those who did believe, He gives the right to become a child of God. It's by faith. That's why Paul writes to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 3, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You know what baptism is? Baptism is that point in which we participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But it is an act of faith. It is an expression of faith. It is that birthing moment in which a human being leaves, being by nature a child of wrath, into becoming a child of God and coming into the kingdom of God. Do you know that the only time that in the New Testament that God did not use, or excuse me, that, uh, that Jesus did not refer to God as Father was on the cross? And that's when he's quoting Psalm 22. And he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, out of all of the times that Jesus has prayed to God and gone to God during those moments of suffering and moments of turmoil and moments of adversity, 
Why is it in that moment that he does not refer to God as Father? The reason is that in that moment, as he is dying on the cross to save us from our sins, and as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he is taking all of our sins upon him. His relationship with God is not parental, but judicial. He is experiencing the wrath of God in order for those who were by nature children of wrath to become sons of God. And so there is one way in which we are accepted on the basis of faith. And then number two, we are a child as a gift of faith. We are a son. We are a daughter. We are a child as a gift of faith. You come into the kingdom of God on the basis of faith and it is not sustained, that relationship with God. Um, did I say that right? You come into the kingdom of God on the basis of faith, but you, you do not sustain that relationship by works or by your own merit. You know, there's a story that's told about uh, a fellow that came to see the preacher one day, knocks on his door, preacher comes to the door, and, and the preacher says, what can I do? Come on into the office. And the guy says, you know, I don't really feel good about my faith right now. I don't feel good because of all of the sin that I, I don't seem to be able to overcome in my life. It seems that as, as hard as I would try, as, as much effort as I would expend trying to overcome these sins, it seems like every day I still sin, and because I sin, I just don't feel very close to God. And the preacher thought for a moment, and then he said, you know, I have a really good dog, and I have a baby daughter. And everything that I ask that dog to do, it does. And it never gives me a minute of trouble. I tell that dog to sit, it sits, I shake hands, lay down. It does everything that I command it to do. The dog is not any trouble whatsoever. does everything that I want it to do. Never disobeys me. But I've got this baby daughter, and that baby daughter is a mess. She never seems to want to do anything that I want it to do. Never that I want this child to do. It never eats when I want it to eat. It never sleeps when I want it to sleep. It cries all the time. It's gimme, gimme, gimme. The child, it's just, it's, 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 it's hard. But let me ask you something. Who do you think is going to get my inheritance? The dog or that baby girl? Listen to the words of Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul says, When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. One of the things that, that, uh, that Barry Newton has reminded us of a lot, especially in, in, in staff meetings and devotionals, is that these new gender-sensitive translations, while they may be somewhat accurate, they do us a disservice by taking out some of the masculine language. During the time... That, that the Bible was being written, women never received any kind of an inheritance. And so when the Bible begins to talk about we all, women included, become sons of God, receiving that inheritance, it was a radical thing. It was a radical thing in the ancient world for a woman to be told that she would receive what a son would receive as that child. And, and so that means that it is completely impossible to be a child of God and not to be an heir. It is completely impossible to be a child of God and not be an heir. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His, to the praise of His glory. You know, it's a special thing to be a child of God, to be called His Son, to be brought in and to receive that inheritance. Back in the 1980s, there was 
uh, you know, those, those popular Star Wars movies, the first three came out. And you'll remember in that second movie, The Return of the Jedi, there's this scene at the very end where Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are fighting. And it's kind of the climax of, of that, that, uh, that, that, that second movie. And they're fighting inside of the Death Star. And the next thing you know, Luke is at the mercy of Darth Vader. And what is it Darth, Darth Vader does? He says in a, in a voice, you know, it's James Earl Jones or something that sounds like Prentice Spivey. And he says, Luke, you are my... Son, I am your father, Luke. And it becomes kind of this iconic phrase in, a, in American culture. I'm your father, Luke. You know that the same thing happens to you when you become a child of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's a fact. He's giving us an indicative piece of information. It is a fact. Verse 15. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you, you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, I don't know the nuts and bolts of this. I don't know the mechanics of it. But I do know that when you are baptized, you receive the Spirit of God. That Spirit of God dwells inside of you. And part of that, the thing that the Spirit does, according to Ephesians 3, is that it strengthens you in the inner man. And one of the things when you walk and live by the Spirit in accordance, you walk in accordance with the Spirit, is that your life changes. It's organic. It's kind of botanical language. But in, in Galatians 5, you bear the fruit of the Spirit. Another thing that the Spirit does on a daily basis, and we need to begin listening to it in order to live our lives successfully as disciples of Jesus is to listen to the Spirit testify to our spirit, to our heart, that we are sons of God. Every day, the Spirit says, you are a son of God. Now, why in the world is that important? You know, every day we received mixed messages. We live in a culture that is just filled with voices and filled with declarations and filled mainly with misinformation about what it means to be a human being. And every day, one of the pieces of our discipleship that we need to bring to the forefront of living each day successfully in the kingdom of God is listening to the Spirit remind us day by day by day, God speaking, I'm your father, Mark. You are my son, Mark. And every day to be reminded that there is a different way of living because my father is not the father of the spirit of this age. My father is not the devil and the father of lies, but my father by adoption in the spirit through baptism, by grace, through the cross of Jesus of Nazareth and his resurrection is God the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that happens every day as a reminder that we need to tune into. Sometimes, i got to tell you, sometimes it, it's like that old age. You know, a lot of, you know, sometimes I use these illustrations. I'm getting to that age where some illustrations are just not relevant. But remember the time when there was an, only an AM radio in a car? And you're driving out in the middle of West Texas or North Texas. I remember these trips in the middle of the night, you know, we're in this pickup, AM radio, that old 1962 Chevy Apache pickup. And Dad's trying to listen to Hank Williams on, you know, on the radio, and we couldn't get it tuned in just right. And finally, Dad would just turn it off because all you could get was the static. We need to work, friends, to tune in, to hear the Spirit testify to our hearts that we are the sons of God and to remember what that means on a daily basis. One of the basic functions of the Spirit of God is to say each day, I'm your true Father. And the last thing is that we are co-heirs. 
We are co-heirs as a result of faith. You know, one of the, the things, one of my great memories, one of the things that I really remember about my dad was he loved to laugh. And some of my greatest memories are watching him laugh. And, and my dad was a great fan of Bill Cosby, one of the true great comedians, clean, and he was a storyteller. That was one of the things that set him apart. And I can remember listening to, to, to Bill Cosby. There was an album uh, called To Russell, The Brother With Whom I Slept. Does anybody remember that album? Have you heard it? It, it was it was absolutely hysterical album, and Dad just used to love, and we'd listen to it as a family. And it was Bill Cosby who was talking about growing up in the projects in Philadelphia and what one night with his brother was like, and because Bill Cosby grew up poor, and, and some of this, again, is not authentic, it's not realistic anymore because nobody really shares a bed, let alone shares a room growing up. But when Bill Cosby was growing up, he shared the same bed with his brother. And he sits it up talking about who his father and his mother what the nights in Philadelphia were like in the projects with the windows open, it was so hot and you'd hear the fan. And he just said, I mean, the theater of the mind is fantastic the way that he sets it up. And then he, he says, this is what it was like, and then there's, there's quiet. And you know it's he and Russell laying in bed together in the, in the dark. And it's quiet. And then Bill Cosby says, hey, and his brother Russell says, what? And Bill Cosby says, this is my side of the bed. I don't want you touching me on my side of the bed. That's your side of the bed. And, and my brother and I, would that's how we slept together in the same bed. I would tell him, this is my side of the bed. You know, one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that there really isn't my side of the bed and your side of the bed when it comes to the inheritance that we receive in Christ. We are co-heirs. Part of that inheritance is described in the Bible in Matthew chapter 5 as the earth. In Romans chapter 4, it's the promises of Abraham. In Matthew chapter 19, it's eternal life. In 1 Corinthians 6, it's the kingdom of God. Now, all of those things are kind of deep and, and profound, have profound definition and meaning to them. But you know what it all means? It means that whatever Christ gets is what we get. We're not... You, you, you no, know, it used to be in the, in the Jewish world. In fact, it's still that way in the Jewish world that when the father died, the oldest son got what? A double portion. So if you if you had uh, if you had two sons, the one son, the oldest son, got two thirds, and the younger son got one third. You were not really. I mean, if you're the oldest boy, like I am, then that sounds pretty good. But once you come into the kingdom of God, the language of co-heir, not 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 heirs together, but co-heirs, equal heirs together in the kingdom of God. And the simplest way to understand this is whatever it is that Christ gets because you've been made a son, a fact that is testified to you by the Spirit of God every day of your life, that Spirit of God talking to your spirit and saying, you are a son. And what that means is that whatever Christ gets, you get. That God will treat every believer as He treats His own son. And so Peter writes to the church in His great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into not just a living hope that we will live again eternally in the presence of God because of the resurrection of Jesus, but with that living hope also into an inheritance, a priceless treasure, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Being a son of God is a tremendous, tremendous blessing. 
It means that God has elevated you from the place of misinformation and misguided thinking and, 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 and misadventure in the way that you live to the place where you are given all of the resources that a caring, good father would give any son, any daughter, any child of his. You're provided for every day. You are given love. You are given uh, safety and security in the fact that there is no one that can snatch you out of the hand of God. You are given instruction on what it means to be His child, instruction on how to live successfully. You are given information in the Word of God and through, and through the counsel and the encouragement of brothers and sisters how to live without idols in your life, how to get rid of those idols and find the true happiness and peace that is in the kingdom of God. And on top of that, a life that is after life after death. When the second coming comes and we experience that resurrection, it's not just life after death, it's life after life after death in which we come into an inheritance that is priceless and beyond our imagination. Why do we, why do we, we, we dally with things that are so insignificant in this life when every day, when, when we, we pray to God the Father, we are reminded of all of these great blessings that come to us because of that fact being true in Christ Jesus through faith. You know, when you, are, when you become a Christian, it's not just that you're being given pardon. It's not that you're just being forgiven of some sins because you're going to commit some more sins. I mean, that forgiveness is there and it's a great thing. And it, and it brings you into relationship with God. But it's so much more than that. It, it's about a new identity. You know, in the Roman world, you know, a slave or, or, or any person for that matter could be adopted into a Roman family and the, 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 the Roman father would call all of his friends and, and, and some of the citizens of that community together. And before all of those people, he would make this, this kid his adopted son. And from that point on, everybody in that room knew that that kid got an inheritance. That kid got what it was that the father had left for him along equally with all of the other heirs in that group. And knowing that, and knowing that, why would we not focus every day on what it means to live as God's children? Rather than living according to the misinformation and the static and the bad messages and the lies and all of those other things that we find in our culture that is trying to bring us away from the glory of that kind of a life. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And some of our spiritual leaders, our, some of our shepherds, our, our elders are going to be up here at the front. And maybe you haven't really been living out the implications and the ramifications of what it means to be a child of God, to be a son of God. Knowing that there's this kind of inheritance, that there's this kind of Father who's providing these kinds of resources for you. And maybe you need some encouragement. Maybe you need the prayers of the church. Maybe you just want to confess sin and to repent and to, and, and to get on tomorrow tuning in and allowing the Spirit to say to you, you are a son of God. Or maybe you've never put on through that act of faith, that expression of faith which is baptism, having your sins washed away, participating, Romans chapter 6, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That can happen tonight by standing in that baptistry and confessing that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that He is the Son of God who died on the cross to save you from your sins. And in so doing, Become a child of God forever and ever.
If that describes you tonight, come down and talk to these shepherds as we stand and sing together.